0: Well, precious and blessed good evening to all of you. Um, Once again, please let me me tell you that uh, this is with complete sincerity that um, I've had a wonderful time with you. My wife and I have just enjoyed so much uh, this week with you. And we're so thankful that we've had this uh, opportunity to be with you. Um, We've been to Ontario, um, you know, a few times over the years, but uh, this week has been great to get to spend more time with you and get to know you better, and um, we're we're so thankful for that. Uh, I want to thank the elders uh, for the invitation and their interest in one of my favorite subjects, and that, of course, being uh, evidences for our faith. I want to thank the four evangelists you have here for taking the week off and uh, letting me have your pulpit. And uh, I want to thank the congregation um, for all of your hospitality. You guys make a great first impression, a great second impression, a great third impression. Uh, It's just been uh, wonderful. And I want to tell you, The hotel accommodations have been excellent it's like being at home so um, it's been fun and um, we pray nothing nothing but the best uh, in God's blessing and in God's will for this congregation in the future so we we hope that our our paths will cross often so um We're going to talk about, will the real Jesus please stand up? But the last uh, evening, um, we talked a little bit about this Sunday, as I tell you a little bit more about myself and and tonight about my wife. We got married in uh, the summer, August 1993, and we both had one semester of school left down in Florida. So we went down there, um, we packed up our, our wedding Uh, gifts and we put them in storage and we finished off that semester, came home for Christmas and then we headed over to Romania to preach the gospel over there uh, for two years and just recently I took a bunch of slides. I did everything in slides back then because if, if churches asked me to preach then we didn't have any PowerPoint back then. And I could show them pictures with a, a, a slide projector. But uh, this is going to shock you. Um, we were pretty young back then. And here's a picture of us uh, in one of the apartments in Romania. And uh, I I just turned these from slides into digital. So this is all kind of like a flashback for me. And one of the neat things is that um, in that, that first year, every... Every three months, you could renew your visa in-country, but the second three months, so every six months, you had to leave the country to renew your visa. And so this particular time, we went down to Athens, Greece. And I had found out that um, this was a time where Farrell Jenkins was bringing a tour group in that same week. And I contacted him, and I said, hey, could we just, like, meet with you, and, and just kind of like, hear some English speakers again, and he said, yeah, here's the hotel, and um, to our surprise, we were, we're not expecting this, um, he invited us to join their group uh, for the rest of their tour, and this was, a, this was a, um, a tour where all the editors of Christianity Magazine were on that trip. And so, uh, I, I know you know a lot of these uh, good men, and here they are. Um, I know, I, I, not too long ago, you had Paul Earnhardt here for a meeting. I remember that. And, uh, of course, next to him, Dee Bowman, who just passed away uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and then you have Sue Hall, Brett Lewis, who preached in California for a number of years, and then Farrell Jenkins. And so... Um, just came across this uh, as a slide, and then here's that young couple in front of the, the Parthenon there in Greece. So uh, was a great, great two years and I continue to make trips back there and uh, work with the Christians there. Some of them that I baptized still still there, still being faithful. It's, it's, it's really cool. So we're going to finish off with uh, one lesson on evidences for Jesus. And again, I, I hope that this motivates you to continue to study this subject and to share it with uh, your neighbors. This title, you might remember, comes from a TV show way back. I think it was the, the, the early 60s where they'd have this TV show and um, they'd have three people. They'd all pretend to be one person like Joe Smith, and you could ask questions, and they would try to answer this, and you had to try to figure out who the real Joe Smith was. Um, and then at the end, they would say, will the real Joe Smith stand up? And he would stand up, and you'd figure out if you were right or not. Well, using that premise, we're going to ask, will the real Jesus stand up? When we talk about Jesus... There's kind of the same premise what we started with. There's two answers. There's the very old answer that sustained mankind for generation after generation that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. But now in our day and age, we are being told by these critical scholars, these liberal scholars, that there's a new answer. And they always couch in the terms of the, the real historical Jesus. And so if you ever come across that phrase, the historical Jesus, let, let your ears perk up and, and remember this lesson and let the flags fly because we're probably, you're probably getting ready to hear something like we're going to talk about tonight. But this new belief tells us that Jesus was a real man. They believe that that he was a real person, but he's not the Savior. He's not the Savior. In fact, he never made himself out to be that way. And so it's kind of interesting. You would think the easiest thing to do is just like say, well, Jesus wasn't even real, just made up, right? But they don't do that. And the reason that most of them don't do that is because the evidence for this man that lived in the first century, a a Jewish man from Galilee, is well attested, not just in the Bible, but with secular historical writers. They write about Jesus, and they have no motivation to talk about who Jesus was believed to be. They're not believers. So they have no motivation to to mention him other than he was real. And this is what's going on. And they're just reporting on what's happening in their day. And so they don't deny that there was a real man on the earth and his name was Jesus of Nazareth. Um, Like I said, even secular writers speak of Jesus and his existence. However, And we talked a little bit about this before. These liberal scholars today, and this is that that arrogance, they believe that they're smart enough to tell you who the real Jesus is today. They're smarter than those who lived and wrote in those early days. And and I find that, that really, really arrogant and prideful. And I really want to encourage anyone that's listening to this. If if this is what you've heard, don't just believe it. Don't just think, well, these are the experts. What I've tried to point out to you this week is that they are so called experts, but they have an agenda. They approach the subject with a conclusion already made. And now they're just going to do whatever they can to make you believe that conclusion. And so they're smart enough to tell us who the real Jesus is. And so we see books like this. I don't know how well you can see this, but the title of this book is this. The Acts of Jesus. What did Jesus really do? And so what's the premise? What the Bible tells you isn't the true story. But this guy is smart enough, he's going to tell you what Jesus really did. Here's a book called The The Meaning of Jesus, where you have Marcus Borg, he's on the liberal side, the unbelieving side, telling his side of the real Jesus, the historical Jesus, and the conservative Jesus scholar, N.T. Wright, and they're kind of back and forth in this book about who is the real Jesus even get Paul into this. The first Paul. Reclaiming the radical visionary behind the church's conservative icon. And notice the authors there are Marcus Ford and John Dominic Croissant. Those are two men that we are going to use. Because they're at the forefront of this liberal critical view of Jesus. And then you have books like this. Jesus under fire. Modern scholarship reinvents the historical Jesus. And so this is the new answer. What the Bible tells you isn't the real answer, isn't the truthful answer, but we're going to tell you about the real historical Jesus. So we're going to start with this question Did Jesus die for the sins of the world? And all of us here tonight would probably, with a resounding yes, that's the story of the Bible. That's the foundation of Christianity. That is why we are here. This is what gives us hope. And we can look at a host of passages, but we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Romans 5, verse 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. That's the evidence. That's what the Bible says. That's what the biblical writers say over and over. That's what they, that truth they wanted to get out. So it seems very clear the evidence is that Jesus did die for the sins of the world. But here are these two men, John Dominic Dominic Crasson and Marcus Borg. And they have lots of books that they have written together along this line of the true historical Jesus. Uh, If you turn on the History Channel or Discovery Channel, and there is some type of religious program on that, in all likelihood, you're going to have one of these two men, probably especially John Dominic Croissant. He is kind of like the official spokesperson, and and they love to interview him, and, and he loves to give these sound bites. But no... They're coming from that preconceived conclusion. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in Jesus as the Christ. And so just know that. If you're reading their books, know that's where they're coming from. Um, is everything that they write bad? No. I like to use their writings, they're very, very good at recreating the historical story of that time. Telling you what it was like in the Roman Empire. What it would be like to be a Jew. What it was like in the Greek, the Greco-Roman world. But pretty much when you get out of that, you've got to be very, very careful. I don't know if you remember this back in the 1980s. These two men along with a a liberal scholar named Robert Funk gathered a group of critical scholars together in what was titled the Jesus Seminar. And they voted. They voted on the sayings of Jesus whether he said these things or not. And then they voted on the deeds of Jesus whether he did them or not. And you can imagine the outcome. It pretty much went this way. Everything that Jesus is alleged to say that fits within our culture today, he said it, love thy neighbor. But everything that goes contra-culture, everything that goes against what people you know, that, that that really affects people's lives. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. The, the things that Jesus did that, that were not a miracle, that don't threaten modern life, yeah, he did those. But the miracles, no. And so they were very big in that and they've been doing that. And the, the, the new... Scholars today all sat at the feet of these men. And so, if you were to ask them, did Jesus die for the sins of the world? They would say, no. How do they say that? What do they mean? How do they play this out? So, the first thing I want to show you is how they make this argument that Jesus wasn't the Christ, he didn't die for the sins of the world. The big thing for them is that Mark has to be the first gospel. They will tell you Mark is the first gospel written. Now that's possible, but that's not a dogmatic conclusion we can make. We're not exactly sure if it was the first, but they have to have it as the first gospel. Why? Let me demonstrate. Let's go over to the very end, Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. And as you start in verse 1 and you begin reading, this is where the women come to the tomb. And they find the tomb empty other than there's this angel. And the angel is talking to them about Jesus being raised and beginning in verse 7 we read the angel says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he said to you. Take Put in your memory that word just as he said to you. Okay, Verse 8. And they went out. These are the women. They went out from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Verse 9. Now after he had risen on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene for whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. Now the first thing that I want to point out to you, and I'm going to walk over here. So if you're listening, I'm sorry my voice is fading a little bit. I want you to notice I've highlighted the nine with this bracket. So in my Bible... Verse 9 has this bracket. And then if you go all the way down to the end of verse 20, you find the end bracket. Well, what, what's going on there? Well, my translators are saying, Hello! There's something different about these verses. And so what I have to do is i got to go to the side column reference. If you have a, a Bible with good side or middle com, uh, uh, column reference... And you go over there and you find this. Later manuscripts add verses 9 through 20. So when you see the VV, that means verses. If you see one V, it means verse, singular. But here we're talking about verses 9 through 20. So what what my translators are telling you is that the early manuscripts don't have these verses. But when you look at later copies of the Bible, these verses appear. But they're not in the early. And so what we have is called a textual variant. And there's a debate as to whether these should be part of Mark's gospel or or if they shouldn't be part of Mark's gospel. And it's an interesting discussion that will make your head spin like this and then back like this. There's good evidence both sides. That doesn't pose a problem for us because as you keep reading, you'll see that what's written in those verses is recorded elsewhere in the Bible. That even if you took it out, what is said here is spoken somewhere else in the New Testament. And so it's it's not a, a, a big deal for us unless you're trying to change... Jesus. And so for them, Mark's gospel has to be first, because what can we do? Well, those verses weren't part of it. And they'll tell you that. That's, that's a must. So when you take those verses out, look at the way it reads now. And they, the women, went and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid and they say and that's how the gospel ends and then what they'll say is Matthew and Luke come along and they say like we can't we can't have that we've got to have Jesus be more than that because well Christians, our, our followers, are being persecuted. And, and if they think they're just following a man, they're just going to leave the faith. And so now they come along and, and all of a sudden Jesus is resurrected. And, and, and Jesus do, does these miracles. And, and they make Jesus out to be the Messiah to bolster the faith and conviction of these early Christians. But they love That's where Mark ends. Well, there's some problems with that. Because you've got an angel in these verses up above this, where the textual variant isn't. He says Jesus is raised. And you have at least four times in the gospel where Jesus says to disciples that he's going to be killed, but he's going to be resurrected. So, you can't get rid of the resurrection in the Gospel of Mark. What you have to do is, what they do, is they become magicians. And they, they, they do their semantic magic and their magical interpretation. And they'll just say, well, those were added later. They're not part of the original. And so you've already learned what to do. What's the question? Why? Is it what the evidence says to do? Or is this motivated by content? Well, at the end of this lesson, I hope you'll see, it's motivated by content, not by evidence. Is there anything in the Gospel, Mark, that leads us to say that these miracles were added later? Why should we believe that unless we simply don't believe in miracles? We don't believe in God. And so we've got to have some explanation, and that's the motivation of content, not evidence. All right. So they would say Jesus did not die for the sins of the world, but to protect the Ro- or excuse me to protest the Roman domination system. Let me show you how they bring this out. This is from John Domet Croissant, and, and Marcus Borg, and their book called "The Last Week," and it's all from the Gospel of Mark because of what I just told you. Okay. According to Mark, Jesus did not die for the sins of the world. The language of substitutionary sacrifice for sins is absent from his story. But he was killed because of the sin of the world. It was the injustice of domination systems that killed him. And if you're saying like right now, Brother Brent, I don't get what what does that mean? Well, what they mean by that is they look at Jesus as a good man. He, he was a good Jew who looked at the Roman Empire and how they just dominated people and how they just forced them to do this and to do that and how they were just mean and ugly. And, and Jesus was kind of like Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi or any number of men that came about and tried to improve the world through non-violent teaching and protest. That's the way they looked at Jesus. And so Jesus came and he was trying to help the Jews in protesting the bad, dominating Romans. Now, let's go to the evidence. Most of the opposition that Jesus faced was from Rome or Jews it's from Jews Jesus really didn't do a whole lot with the Romans he wasn't political when he was asked about Roman law he said render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and render to God the things that are God ultimately yes Rome is the that, 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 that force that put him on the cross. But the the gospels make it very clear. The 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 opponents of Jesus were his own Jewish brethren, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Where's that? Why isn't that mentioned? Why isn't that part of Jesus' reform? Why isn't that part of his protest? You know why? Because that is politically incorrect. We got Jews today, and you can't can't say that they had any part of protesting Jesus or killing Jesus. We don't have Romans today, so you can put all the blame on them. It, It really does remind me when Jesus asked the Pharisees, John the baptizer, from God or man, and they're like, well, if we, if we say this, the, the, we fear the people. We, we, we don't want that. And, but if we say it's from God, then they'll say, why didn't you obey him? And we just don't know. That's the same logic. If you say to me, Brother Brent, a lot of these scholars you're talking about seem very much like the Pharisees, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So that's the way they view Jesus. Jesus did not die for the sins of the world, but he did die for the sin of the world. In other words, when you start protesting and you start taking on Rome and you keep going on, eventually you're going to cross a line and Rome's going to say, enough is enough. And so he crossed that line he ruffled the wrong feathers. And finally, Rome said, off off with his head. So, let's put what they just said to the test. Let's go to the evidence and to see if that's what the evidence really shows. Mark chapter 14, end of verse 22, as Jesus is in that upper room, and they just have the last Passover. And look at what Mark recorded. Okay, we're using Mark's gospel. This is their doing. Let's just use Mark's gospel. The first gospel, they say. Here we go. While G- while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks to he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. I'm sorry, that sounds exactly like what they say Jesus didn't say. I'm going to give my body my blood, and it's going to be poured out for The many. And these are the exact same words that Matthew later records and Luke. The exact same words. All reflecting a death for the sins of the world. Let's go down to verse 28. It's not just dying for the world, but notice verse 28. No textual variant. Jesus says, But after I have been raised. I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Jesus even mentions and and predicts his resurrection. Like I said, there are at least four times the gospel of Mark, where he predicts and prophesies about his death and burial and resurrection. Now go over to chapter ten, Mark chapter ten and verse forty-five. Here, Jesus in his teaching says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. That that's definitely sounds like a sacrificing his life for the many, for the world, for the sins of the world. And again, what they do is they go in there and they do their magic. But it's just words. And now you understand the motivation of that. So, when we look at the evidence, it doesn't seem to be what they're saying. So is there protest on evidence or is it on content? Let's ask this question. Did Jesus ever claim to be deity? Did he ever claim to to be God in the flesh? They would say, no. And here's what they would say. And and what they're doing is they're looking at that, that passage in Mark where the chief priest, as one of the trials of Jesus, says, Are you the Christ? And they're looking at Jesus' answer. So they say, as Mark tells the story... Was Jesus guilty of claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? Perhaps. Why perhaps? And not a simple yes. Mark does not report that Jesus taught this. In other words, Mark doesn't have Jesus teaching that he was deity. And his account of Jesus' response to the high priest's question about this is at least a bit ambiguous okay that's what they say let's take a look at the evidence let's go to mark 14 and verse 61 and let's look at this account Jesus standing before the chief priest but he kept silent and did not answer again the high priest was questioning him and saying to him are you the Christ the son of the blessed one and Jesus said I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Where's the ambiguity? (laughs) Are you the Christ? I am. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I, I, I don't have trouble understanding that whole situation there. And not only that, what does the chief priest do after that? He tears his clothes and says, there it is, the blasphemy. Why was it blasphemy? Because he was making himself out to be God. That's what they knew. That's what they heard. But we're not smart enough. We need scholars today to tell us really how we are to see that. Let's go to Mark chapter 2, verse 9. Mark 2, verse 9. This is the... This is the story where they they lower the paralytic through the roof. How many of us would... um, I think we should reenact that. How many of you would like to donate your house? And we're going to dig through your roof and we'll lower someone down? (laughs) It's kind of a, a unique story. And Jesus uses it to make a point. Remember, as they lower him down... Jesus does not say to him, uh, you are healed, take up your power. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now he hasn't made some mistake. He knows exactly what he is saying and why he is saying it. And then they start grumbling. Why is he saying that? Only God can forgive sins. And that's exactly why he's saying that. And so in verse 9, he starts to explain, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up immediately and picked up his pallet and went out in the sight of everyone. So that they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, We have never seen anything like this. Jesus was using this miracle to say, Yes, only God can forgive sins and I have that power. Clearly making a claim of being deity. Now, another thing that these critics like to downplay is the miracles. Not that they believe in them, but they're like, oh, miracle workers were a dime a dozen that day, in, in those days. You know, there's always some shenanigans saying he could do a miracle and doing some magic trick, and, and there's some truth to that. There, there were some sorcerers, but notice the words the We have never seen anything like this. What Jesus is doing isn't anything like that. Like these sorcerers. What an overstatement by them. So, the evidence is contrary to what they say. So why are they saying it? Let's ask this question. Was Jesus able to prophesy? You've got Jesus prophesying in Matthew 24, which is also found in Mark chapter 13. About the destruction of Jerusalem. And you've got Jesus prophesying about his death. And his burial. And his resurrection. And in that prediction. That prophecy. He tells exactly who is going to do it. And it's not just in Matthew and Luke. It's in Mark. That all this takes place. But remember they don't believe in God. So they don't believe in miracles. And therefore, they don't believe in prophecy because they know human beings cannot tell you the future in great detail. So here's what they say. The Gospels record Jesus predicting that his followers would be dragged before the Roman authority. So that's part of that that prophecy. Look at what Jesus could have predicted these isolated persecutions Now what they mean by that is Jesus predicted it because, you know, you start doing what he's been doing, you get in trouble. And you're going to get persecuted. You're going to cross that line. You're going to ruffle the wrong feathers. And that's, you know, that's all he's saying. They're not saying he actually prophesied. He just just knows if you go start challenging people, that's what's going to happen. But look at this. But it seems more likely, it seems more likely that these predictions are retrojections inserted into the Jesus tradition by the evangelists. Who sought to bolster the resolve of their readers when faced with persecutions. So, in other words, they say it's, it's much more likely that the, 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 the evangelists added these later to bolster their readers, their followers who were being persecuted, just like I explained before. Now, I want to ask you, as I underline it, why does it seem more likely? It doesn't. Unless. You enter the text not believing in God or the ability to prophesy about the future. Then it has to seem more likely. So why do they say this? I know I keep doing this, but that's why I do it. I I want you to go home with this in your mind. I don't want you to forget it. Their objection of Jesus is based on content, not evidence. We're looking at the evidence right here. So, here's their answer. I'm gonna go through this kind of kind of quickly. We're running out of time. Their answer Jesus was a good man, a reformer, but not the savior. And here's the problem with that answer. It's not possible. It's not possible given what the New Testament tells us about Jesus. What Jesus claimed about himself. What Jesus taught people to do. What Jesus taught he could give to them. That answer is not possible. You see, these liberal critics do not deny the Bible's testimony. They just went through. We looked at some of it where they they don't deny it. They just try to rewrite it. And so if you do that, it leaves us with only three possible answers. Everything that we know about Jesus from the New Testament, there's only three possible answers, and none of them allow us to believe that Jesus was just a good man and a reformer. It's not possible. Why not? Here's your three possibilities number one, Jesus was who he claimed to be, he was the Messiah. That has to be a possibility. And I believe, as you do, the evidence is clear. That he not only claimed it, he proved it. He showed it. But that's not a possibility for them. That's the door they're going to keep closed. And that's why we have to come up with the real Jesus. The new historical Jesus. But it's based on content. Not on evidence. So, number two. If he wasn't who he claimed to be, there's only two possibilities. Number one, then he was a liar. And if he's not a liar, then he was a lunatic. He was a crazy man. saying, Not, not knowing what he was saying, claiming to be someone great and, and just, just a lunatic. I like to put it this way. He was either Lord, liar, or lunatic. <laughs> the three L's. But there's no other possibility. You see, if Jesus was a liar, then not only was he a liar, he was a hypocrite. Because he told people to be honest at all times. That's one of the things he taught. If Jesus was a liar, then he was extremely evil. Because he told people he could give them eternal life when he really couldn't. and he was a fool because he lived a lie that led to his premature death for what to get attention but we know as we look at the evidence Jesus was neither a liar nor crazy Jesus proved it with his teaching Mark chapter 3, they're amazed. And even though they tried to trap Jesus, and Jesus knows exactly the right thing to say, and it tells us in Mark chapter 3, verse 4, his opponents kept silent. They had no answer. John chapter 7, the guards came back. They were were told to go and arrest Jesus. And they came back empty handed. And the guards said to the Pharisees, Never have we heard a man say and speak like this man. His teaching was flawless. It amazed people. They had never heard anyone teach like this. Jesus proved this with his miracles. In fact, John in John chapter 20 verse 30 and 31 says, I have written these miracles, but there are other miracles I didn't write. But I wrote these miracles so that what? You could read and believe. And by believing, have eternal life in his name. Nicodemus came up to Jesus, a Pharisee, not like the typical Pharisee. and says, we know you're a man from God because no man can do the things that you do unless God is with him. Exactly right. Acts chapter 2, verse 22, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, Jesus, the man of Nazarene, was attested to you. It means God took the witness stand in the courtroom and he testified who Jesus was by what? His words? Not just his words. By miracles, signs, and wonders. Whoops. And Jesus proved this through the testimony of others. Demons didn't want to believe, they didn't have saving faith, but over and over they know exactly who Jesus is and they confess him. Rulers are perplexed by him. Historical writers, as I mentioned in the beginning, write of his existence. And even though they didn't believe it, they write about the belief that he is a savior. So the objection of Jesus is based on content, not on evidence. And I I, I hope that you'll help others see that. And I hope that you are solidified on that yourself. Because I've been saying all week, when you read... Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. When you read Acts 2, verse 38, what shall we do? Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. When you read 1 Peter 3, 20, 21, and in like manner we are saved by baptism, we want people to know that that is not a Church of Christ doctrine. It is not something that some point down the line, one of our leaders came up with, we want you to know that that is the revelation of God. That you can put your full faith, that as you are immersed in the waters of baptism, having fulfilled that plan of salvation, believing, repenting, confessing, that when you come out of that water, your sins are washed away. It's not because I say it. It's not because of church doctrine. It's because this is truth. And if if we can help you come to Jesus Christ tonight, in any way, won't you let that be known as together we stand. And as we sing.